0: Hmm. All right, here we go. This is one of those passages where I want it to be clear from the very beginning that, and you're gonna hear, I'm guilty of this one. Like I don't have this one figured out. Not figured out in understanding the text. I mean, figured out in life. Like the reality of actually working this out in life. I am not even going to pretend to stand up here in an authoritative way and, and present this like from the pulpit as, hey, this is figured out. Just look at me. I'll tell you how to do it. This is one of those where, like, I, I, I know I'm guilty. I know I am. And I don't like that I'm guilty. I'm working on it. But I just, I just want you to know that. Pray with me one more time. Lord, where else can we go but you? And then in Hebrews, Lord, you tell us that long ago and in many ways you have spoken through your prophets and your priests. But now today you speak through your son. And so, Lord, we keep looking to you, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And God, you have preserved your word for us throughout so many years. Decades and cataclysms, Lord, there is every reason in this world for your word not to endure except that you have sustained it and you've sustained it for us and for every other church and believer so that we can know what our God wants us to know of who you are. Lord, I pray for gentleness. I pray for humility in this passage. Lord, I pray for authenticity and Lord, I pray for clarity. Lord, for each of us. Lord, I also pray that you protect the believer's heart so that we can hear truth, but Lord, not condemnation, because you have been condemned for us. You have taken our sin and died on the cross for us. There is now, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But Lord, we must also be refined by the working of your word that pierces to bone and marrow and soul and spirit, Lord. So, Lord, I pray for conviction and not condemnation today for those who are in Christ. Protect our hearts. Lord, I also pray that we don't allow ourselves to lay up, um, lay up guilt upon ourselves for those things which are not from you. But, Lord, help us to discern the spirit so that we can hear your voice and not our own. And, Lord, that even includes expectations that we bring into ourselves Lord, what I'm asking is that your word works purely within us and that you guard us even against ourselves and against the enemy. Lord, so that we can honor you truly in our lives, internally, outwardly for your glory. Amen. Okay, so with that said, we're in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19. We're going to go 19 to 24 um, is the primary emphasis for us today. I'm in the ESV, and um, so if you want to follow along in that one, if you have NIV or NASB, then you will see the, the parallels, just maybe different wording. God's Word says, in the Sermon on the Mount so Jesus speaking do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also the eye is the lamp of the body so if your lamp is healthy I'm sorry if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters for either. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So as we do, we are just going to keep moving through this passage. There's only one, there's two points. There's a lot of points, but there's only two points. Okay. <laughs> The main point is this, the problem and then the solution. And the problem is where we're going to be really pushing through 19 through 24 and just moving verse by verse by verse or or passage by passage. And the first one is this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And we have to hit pause because we would misread that and we want to misread that one in our flesh. It's comfortable to misread that one. I want to read that one as do not let like... Do not in the future, like in the future, don't worry about laying up treasures here on earth. Like it sounds precautionary. Whenever we get to that, do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth. It sounds like a cautionary thing and we're missing it. I'm with you all, by the way. I hear some really high pitched thing. I know some of you are going, what is that? Um, Don't know, but we're going to push in. So Lord, keep us from distraction for your work. All right. And my own ADD, I'm just telling you. A better understanding, whenever we look at it, is, is not do not in the future, but a, an actual legitimate translation that really hits to the point of stop. It's stop laying up. It's a present action. And so now we got to like deal with tone because it could also sound like this. Well, Jesus, uh, he's, he's probably pretty angry. He's looking at him. He's going, stop, stop treasuring. No, like, I think if we pull it all in line and we look all through the Sermon on the Mount, We can't hear the emotion in the words, but we know the tenor of our Jesus and our Savior who had deep compassion for those. And we see him talking about giving to the needy and the Lord's prayer and how to pray and how to fast. And he gets here. And I think it's just very measured. Stop treasuring things on earth. But rather than do not as a caution, it's stop. Which means that it was a present reality for his followers and it's a present truth in at least this guy's life that I put treasures here on earth and I need to stop. The cost of discipleship is that we understand that there are things that we need to be doing and things that we need to stop doing. In Matthew 6.1, Jesus said, beware of doing these things. This is not the same thing. In 6.1, he says, beware of practicing your righteous deeds before others so that you are seen by others and get your reward here on earth. Like there's that aspect. It was beware. Be careful. Now he's saying, not beware. He's saying, stop. Stop finding treasure here. Like that's what I think we just need to hear right now is just, I, I don't think there's an exclamation point. I don't think it's very soft and just gentle. I think it's just very measured. Here's a God who loves his people and people are beginning to be drawn to him. And he says, you need to know how to pray. You need to know how to fast. You need to know how to serve the needy. You also need to just stop treasuring things here on earth. I think that's the tone that we go for. It's just very measured. Y'all, make no doubt about it. Could we substitute treasure with idolatry and things that we idolize? Absolutely. I looked up the word for treasure to see what it really meant. Do you know what it really means in the original language? Treasure. It was great. I love it when it's not complicated. But included in that word, it's kind of, it's broader. It doesn't just mean money, though it definitely means money. But it it means really anything on this earth that we accumulate that we value to be treasure and and of value. And so in talking to to the D group that I get to be um, blessed to be a part of every week. I just was kind of talking to them and I said, you know, really for me, God just put all the, all the big T's there that we we've talked about in different contexts, but things that we, we treasure just to make it kind of simple and alliterative. We treasure our time. We treasure our actual treasures, our money, which he speaks to there at the very end. We treasure our talents and our skills. These are things that we use and we treasure y'all get this our temptations. We might not like to say that we treasure our temptations, but we do, or we give them up. But there's something deep rooted in the wickedness of our hearts where we know the temptations that are nearest, we know the sins that are nearest, and yet we, we don't always give them up. They're a sort of sick treasure for us. All right, so this goes beyond money. Money is probably the most prominent and easy one to identify. It is appealing, it is powerful in this world, but it does go beyond bronze, nickel, silver, paper, gold, There are other treasures that we guard and I can break out of the alliteration and I can get into family, education, resumes. I mean, we could keep going on. Friendships, relationships, marriages, families, all the good things that God blesses us with when they become God things that steer our lives, then it becomes a treasure and a treasure that is displaced from God is idolatry. I am telling you now, I am an idolater and I don't like it. It's just how we're prone to be. We are prone to leave the one we love. We're going to look at that at the end. If we look at the pattern of our lives, then our yeses and our nos and our preferences, when they become matters of treasure rather than obedience, then we realize that we have a displaced treasure. Like that's, that's kind of the thrust. And Jesus is very clear where it is. Stop. Just stop. I'm looking around the room. We have lots of kids. And you can hear kids like all throughout worship and prayer. I think it's kind of cool. You got extra percussion going on 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 benches and, and, you know, yodeling. You got all sorts of things whenever all the kids are active. And parents, you sit there and you go, stop. Stop. (laughs) And you get more and more emphatic. If we would just heed the words of our Lord whenever he says stop. That's all. I think we need to wrestle with today is where do we need to stop? My prayer at the beginning was, was a genuine prayer and, and that as we move through this and and Andy and I were talking about it before there, there's a balance in finding wisdom and and having to be mindful, for example, in in Andy's life and my life, time is something that's a real thing. Like our our time gets crunched and and we have to be very mindful of time. There's a a difference in being mindful and wise and how we allocate those things and how we guard those things and living life according to maximizing our time for our own selfish gain. Does that make sense? So there's a difference in treasuring it in, in an idolatrous way and living wisely. So my prayer at the beginning, whenever I said don't visit like condemnation upon yourselves is don't think just because we talk about time and money and talent and temptation that it's all about you. And that's what it's got to be at the same time. If the spirit is saying this is this is for you, you need to heed this. Then that's whenever you have to wrestle with the spirit. I cannot sit up here and tell you what you need to work on in your lives. That's not my job. It's nowhere in any job description, which by the way, we don't have job descriptions. We should probably do that. The role of the elders and the leaders of the church and one another is to take one another to scripture so that we have an understanding of it so that we can live according to it. I just want to make plain the text today and then the spirit does the work that he will do. So how do we know? Just some quick litmus tests for us. Our time becomes our treasure When it is the chief motivator for why and how we live our lives. And when anything begins to affect our schedules and there's an unsettling that begins to happen. I am guilty. Oh, I'm guilty. Our treasure, like as in our money, becomes our, our true treasure. When it is the chief motivator for why and how we live our lives. When anything begins to affect our finances, there's an unsettling that begins to happen. Our talent is our treasure when it is the chief motivator for why and how we live our lives. When we have the options to use our talent in ways that can benefit us chiefly, then it is challenging when we need to use them for others. Our temptation is our treasure when it is something we harbor so closely and refuse to let go. When anything begins to limit or take away that temptation, we find that we actually do not necessarily hate the sin, but we find that it's something that is so a part of us that we treasure it as part of us. There's kind of a litmus there. Cross life, if I could go on, and the truth is simply this. We are to love God supremely. We are to love, I'm sorry, love and serve God supremely. And we are to love and serve one another sacrificially. In any factor that keeps us from those two things, we need to regard or we need to slow down and consider, is this a treasure that I am being challenged from pursuing Christ for, for the sake of pursuing this treasure? Hear me one more time before we push on. We must, and I'm I'm keeping my eyes right here as much as I can today. We must also live wisely with healthy, please hear me, God-given, spirit-empowered boundaries. But I fear that we are living... Mostly in cultural Christianity today by our own boundaries according to our own treasure and by our own authority rather than the example of Christ. Treasure in that first one, or to, to not lay up treasure, really comes down to stop laying up those things on this earth that are absolutely going to pass away. Does that make sense? One, one scholar put it this way, the treasure, quote, means not only money, But all kinds of property and possessions and to store up treasure means to keep it for oneself and to love it. All right. So here is here's the the foolishness, by the way, of of our treasures. Right. Of the things that we lay up here. The foolishness is right here in Scripture. Let's keep going now. We lay up treasures. He says, stop laying up treasures on this earth. Quote, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The two reasons that we should not store up treasure in this world are right here, decay and theft. Everything falls apart. I believe it was Yates, the center cannot hold. Like those things which we hold on to and those things would, that seem to have permanence in our life. I mean, this is a structurally sound building. It's flooded plenty of times, but it still stands. I don't worry about walking in in this building not standing. It seems to have a permanence. So, do, so does money. It seems to always be there. And in the end, all these things that seem permanent will break down. Moth and rust destroy every physical thing. And the law of entropy ensures that everything breaks down. Moths eat. Rust weakens. Markets fail. Interest rates adjust. Schedules change. Relationships break. Death happens. Everything, everywhere falls apart and away in this world. And I live in this world. And I am moved by the currents of this world. All that I can lay up will be lost. It cannot be held in this world. And then theft. Theft can take everything that's physical, mental, emotional. It can all be robbed from us. Time can be stolen as can every other mental and emotional property. So can money and possessions and home. Everything else can be robbed, roth and must, I'm sorry, did I? Moth and (laughs) rust. Uh, At least I knew roth and must. Okay, but moth and rust and theft, it's all just taken away. And so there's a foolishness to what we're doing. The foolishness of our treasures on this earth is that they are limited and short-sighted, and yet we think that they are wonderfully powerful. All these things, they they glimmer. They are precious. I'm not saying that money's not important. I'm not saying time's not important. I'm not saying talent's not important. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying that they garner, because they glimmer, they garner so much of the attention of the private life of the believer. I'm guilty. You need to know I'm guilty. I have to wrestle with stopping to actively treasure things that displace my affections for God. The solution, piece of cake, right? <laughs> Says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Great. What does that even mean? Like, seriously, the Savior is looking at those who are beginning to follow him. They're being drawn to him. And he's clarifying all these things. He says, stop treasuring things on this earth. Instead, lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves cannot break in. And I'm sitting there going, yes, that's what I want. And in my own notes, I wrote, what period does period that period mean? Like, that's hard. What is it? Because we're, we're so driven. We want to do well. Three approaches for this. The first one, how do we lay up treasures in heaven? The first one I want to go to is 1 Timothy chapter 6. How do we lay up treasures in heaven? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is the positive, the instructive. The next one is going to be the negative, which is a warning. And the other one is going to be a shift of perspective. Like those are the three approaches I want us to look at. What is a positive way that I can encourage you and me to store up treasures, not on earth, but in heaven? First Timothy, chapter six, verse 17 through 19. Paul says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now watch this. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. How is treasure stored up for the future or treasure stored up in an eternal scope? We see it in verse 18. We who are rich... And if we sit in this room, we are rich. We are rich in time. We are rich in talent. We are rich in treasures. We are to do good. We are to be rich in good works. We are to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up the riches that are beyond the scope of this world. So there's a positive. What can you and I do? to make sure that we are rightly motivated do good works be rich in good works be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation There's a warning there's a negative like if we want to say great how do I store up treasures not on this earth but in heaven the positive is to do those <coughs> excuse me do those things There's a negative example in Mark chapter 10 This is worth looking at By the way, I'm going to tell you for the positive and the negative, which I think we need. I really like the perspective shift. That's what it usually almost always comes down to. We need the warnings. We need the encouragements. But really, it's a matter of fixing our perspective. The negative, the warning that we get. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is that heavenly treasure, right? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witnesses. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he, the man, said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, I love this. Just so he loved him. He loved him. And he said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he, the man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. How is treasure stored up in heaven? According to this, to give away the earthly treasures that distract us for the sake of others, as in our time, our talents, our treasures. Those things which we treasure here, y'all, we have been given by a gracious and good God to be stewards of them. We're going to be the conduits of his grace to others. And if in the positive we're told to do good and to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share, we see some of that in the negative of quit treasuring things here. Instead, give it away so that you know it's not a treasure and give of your times and your talents and your treasures, basically for the sake of others. Go and give these things. Give to the poor. I much prefer, though, whether they do these things, don't do these things. I think those are very wise to, to heed. Go to First Peter. I think it becomes a matter of perspective. We fix our eyes on the wrong things. One of my mentors, I would, he would come into my office, um, Mr. Queen, and and the longer you walk alongside me in life, the more you will know that I'm I'm one who's prone to discouragement. Like it's just how I'm. Kind of, it's like the inner eor is like right there, just waiting on the tail to fall off. Like everything is great, and then the house falls. I'm like, of course it fell would like when it fall, like it's posted, like there's an inner Eeyore within me. I don't like it. It's just a truth of who I am. And so my mentor walked in one day and I'd been reading. And and of course, there's all these great promises. And then there's this one verse. And I'm like, he's like, so what What you get out of your reading today? And I'm like, this verse right here. And he looked at him, he goes, You focus on the wrong things. It's actually, this is the verse for you, not that one. And I realize, like, there's that tendency within me, like there's that tendency within all of us to, to, to have our perspective set in the wrong way. And so whenever we can see clearly again, what it is that is our treasure, our affection changes. Our affection grows. We love that. We need that reminder. I'm going to talk about that at the very end. We need that reminder of our treasure and that fixes our perspective. Again, I tend to lean towards perspective, not positives and negative examples, though we need them. So look at this perspective in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Peter's writing and he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we all say, amen. Right. That's great. Look at this. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and is kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Can I do that one more time? And like really just focus on that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Cross life. According to his great mercy. Mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's what's waiting for us. We're being born into an inheritance that is imperishable. It is undefiled, it is unfading, and it is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the treasure. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. And by his mercy, we have been born again to that living hope. When did we forget that? Like When did Ricky forget that this week? Every single day. That's the inheritance kept for us. And you know what? He didn't say, hey, just walk through life and muscle up and you're going to make it. And one day you'll cross the finish line. And then I will wipe every single tear from your eye. Though he will wipe every single tear from our eye in that last day. You know what this says in verse five? You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is going to be revealed in the last time. You do not walk this world alone. The treasures that we are seeking, uh, it's because we've lost perspective of the treasure that we already have. And the greatest treasure is not ultimately even that we're going to see him face to face. The treasure that we forget is that he's with us even right now, bringing us to the treasure. Like that's whose we are. We are the God who comes, or we are with the God who comes for us. And Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Do you know why? It tells us to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and to not us. The treasure that we have, that inheritance that is within us is in jars of clay. It's fragile. We will break, we will break down. We will weep and we will get sick and this body ultimately will return to dust. Do you know why? Because we aren't the powerful one. The powerful one is with us and he is bringing us home. We just forget. This this world is loud and crazy and chaotic. And we just forget the treasure that's right there waiting on us. And we forget the treasure that is within us. And we know that the Spirit is within us. And it also says that He abides with us. He is with us while we're with the world. He is within us while we are with Him. We are held. We are guarded by God for that salvation. We just need to remember the perspective. Y'all, this is, uh, let me just keep going. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I just want you to remember that what we long for, we will fully see one day. Right now, we know in part what it means to walk with Him in this world. But one day, we will see Him fully. That which we long for, we will behold Him. And a holy God. A loving father cannot let you have any other thing, any other treasure between you and him that will distract you from your devotion to him. And so the Savior lovingly says, stop treasuring the wrong things. I just need to heed it. I want to hear whenever he says stop, not whenever he goes stop it, okay? He's a good father. He is patient. He is more patient with us then we probably want to acknowledge. And he says, stop. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Dave Ramsey is a wise guy. Oh, at our house, we call him Devil Dave. Um, he has one good thing though that stuck with me. Um, and many good things that stuck with my wife who keeps us in line. But he basically points out that where we spend our money, reveals what we value so if you want to know what you truly value I would say look at the checkbook but we would say look online now and where we spend our money that reveals what we value in much the same way as I was preparing that God brought that back to mind and so I would extend that to say it is clear where our heart is when we look back at our bank accounts absolutely you know, we, we spend money on what we care about most definitely How much is spent on our luxuries, our preferences, and our personal comfort? Or given in tithes and offerings and blessing others? We spend time on what we care about, most definitely. How much of our time is spent on our luxuries, our preferences, and our comfort? Or given for the sake of others, given to serve others and to bless others? We spend our talents and skills in ways that we care about. How much of our ability is spent on our own luxuries, our own preferences, our own comfort? And how much is used for others so that they may be served and blessed? It's just a heart check is what it comes down to. Because you know what we see all throughout the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus cares about the heart. The Pharisees cared about the performance and the line being there. And Jesus keeps bringing it back further and further. So right now we settle on where's the heart of the matter? And he says, check your heart, because where your heart is, that's what you're going to treasure. And where your treasure is, that will be the tenor of your heart. Look at verse 22. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is one of those that kind of sneaks in, and it, it seems to break the flow, if I'm being honest. Like, if I'm reading this on my own... I'm like, man, that seems pretty pretty abrupt to just kind of drop that in there. The point is this. He's building to the ultimate point that there should be a single-mindedness among us. The reason that we schedule our time that we do, the reason that we use the money the way that we do, the reason that we use our talents the way that we do is because we want to serve God and not this over here. So he's beginning this trajectory towards that singleness of mind. And he uses the I. And what's interesting is he doesn't say "The eyes are." he uses "I," singular." And so' going to pray for that. <laughs> the point here, is what we've seen all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we must take seriously the corruption and the nearness of sin. If our eye is engaged in sin, then uh, there is no small amount of sin before a holy God. Here's a hard part for us. Is that if that wall over there were God and, and this was the, the distance and we're walking in our sin over here. And I'm trying to be careful of the speaker. Okay, right there. I heard it right there. Okay. And I'm all the way over here and I repent and he saves me. Then I can confess of the sins that I see by the light of his holiness. But then as we begin to draw closer to God, then there is a paradox. There's that begins to happen because I start to see suddenly this sin within me that I didn't even know was there. And you know why? Because if I'm back here and I'm in it, like if there's a light bulb right over there and the light is barely reaching me, then I see the sin that is like most obvious. But as I grow closer to that light and it begins to illuminate more of me, I then begin to see that there are specks and there may be even like holes in this. Like the closer we draw to God, the more he is going to show us our sins so that we can continue to draw closer to him. Is that sin atoned for? Absolutely. He's just showing it to us so that we can forsake that sin. But there is a paradox that as you walk and grow closer to God, you will actually feel like what's going on like I'm drawing closer to him but I keep I don't feel like I am because look at this sin. Like praise God that he would show you that sin that he couldn't show you a year ago. Praise God that he is exposing those things to you. That's kind of this idea is that sin corrupts to the nth most degree. We just didn't see our sin fully there. When we see our sin there, then we marvel even more at his mercy and grace that he would love us still. And we repent and we grow closer. And as we grow closer, he shows us more. As we grow closer, he shows us more. And he is constantly working in us because the end result is not our comfort, but it's Christ likeness. Okay, I got to keep going. I'm just going to go past that one too. Okay. Here we go. Verse 24 culminates in this. No one can serve two masters. No one can have two treasures. For either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The truth is, cross life, that our hearts will be devoted to either sin, self, or to the son. We can live for ourselves, Absolutely. And we will be deeply dissatisfied every day of our life. We can live for sin and pursue that, or we can live for the sun. Whenever we live for the sun, then that begins to change everything about us. And this, which is glimmering and glorious and looks wonderful, makes sense to like distract my attention from it. It loses its um, glimmer to me because He is the radiance of the glory of God. Like He outshines. Everything else, his magnificence, his magnificence outweighs everything else in all of creation. Whenever our eyes are fixed on the sun and we see him as the true treasure, not only there waiting for us, but securing us and bringing us to him. Whenever God is with us and God is for us and God is bringing us towards him. And that's our full affection. Then these treasures just fade away. We just forget to look at him. We just forget the inheritance that is reserved for us. I would love to have y'all here every single day because then you could walk alongside me and be like, remember, I like, just remember that's new. That's Mrs. Ray has this new job is to walk alongside me some days and just thump me in the head and be like, what's wrong with you? Like, treasure. That though is why we need community. This is why we do life on life. This is why cross life is the way it is so that we can be in one another's lives and we can speak into it whenever we begin to treasure the wrong things. You will see me treasuring the wrong things probably much quicker than I will. Praise the Lord that he put you in my life. I will see you treasuring things in your life probably much sooner than you will. Or I'll be affirming what God is already putting on your heart. And sometimes you just need someone who comes alongside and says, I understand that. We're going to keep going. We're going to figure this out. Like that's the Christian life. There's no lone wolf Christianity in the Bible. We walk in community going forward. And until we settle our devotion on him, And to him, by forsaking our sin and self, we will never truly treasure him. Whatever it is within ourself, whether it's our selfishness, whether it's our sin, unless we truly treasure him, we're always going to be unsettled. We're always going to lack the peace that we need. I fear that even as we gather here this morning, that we may be a lot more like Ananias and Sapphira than we realize go to Acts 5. I don't like to presume that we know any of these passages. One of my pastoring mentors, you'd always do it this way. You know, it drives me crazy because it made me feel so ignorant. And I love this guy. But he'd say, we'd be like Ananias and Sapphira. And you know the story. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. they there like with the pastor staring right at you. You're like, absolutely. I know the story. <laughs> It's in uh, Acts chapter 5, by the way. Um, y'all just take a look at it. I don't ever want to presume that we know these things. Here at the early church, Acts 5, 1-11 through 11 says this, But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Because that's what everybody was doing at the time, by the way. They were all selling their property and giving it. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. behold the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last And when the young man came in they found her dead they carried her out and buried her beside her husband and great fear came upon the whole church and upon those who had heard these things in Ananias and Sapphira we see the appearance of sacrifice without the actual forsaking of treasure does that make sense Peter had a good point While it remained unsold, it was yours. But then you went through the whole action of selling these things to give it away for others. And yet you kept it back for yourself. And you are not lying to us. You're lying to God. Which means it, it was not just something that they were trying to wisely govern. This was something that was on their heart. This is like where I'm trying to get us to. This is something that was on their heart by God that they were supposed to do. And they walked in disobedience. I think if they were just trying to do it on their own, we wouldn't see their immediate death and burial. There's something of God in this that they were disobedient to. That's what we believers need to hear. If God is doing and God is directing, we walk in obedience. Otherwise, we use our time and our talents wisely. We make the best use of time, scripture says, make the best use of time for the days are evil. Use time wisely. Use talents wisely. Have those boundaries. But I fear in our modern Christianity that there's a great temptation of the redeemed heart to still withhold from God those treasures that are strongholds in our heart. We just have to check the heart. And the grace of God is this, y'all, as we start trying to, like, land this thing. The grace of God is that he commands us, stop laying up treasures for yourselves on earth. He thought we should know. As a loving father, he wants us to know where the danger is. And he just says, stop. John Piper is famous for saying, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I just want you to hear. There's wisdom in what he says. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I love that saying. And I try to find my satisfaction and treasure in him. It's whenever I treasure him, that my life is most radically changed and he is most glorified. Whenever I begin to treasure and find satisfaction in other things, then I start to feel that spiritually. I know that he is not being glorified. You know why? Because I'm living to glorify these things or myself. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Like this is full confession. Like, whenever the Lord is going through this and I get to preach, he's like, by the way, you have a pedestal for public confession this week, Ricky. Y'all, a God-glorifying life is the result of a Christ-treasuring heart. And until we treasure Christ, we will never live to glorify God. It's just impossible. A God-glorifying life is a result of a Christ-treasuring heart. And we would all probably say, absolutely, God, that's great. I think my problem is like the one last thing I want to give you is how did we even get here? Like the joy of our salvation. We were singing praises. We were like warm and full and radiant lights. And then we get here to where he's telling us to stop. I'm going to read these passages to you for the sake of time, because I want your eyes on the last text. But what if you do find that the treasures there and somehow you've been distanced from it. Like what? Like how did we get there? That's the question that I think sometimes we wrestle with. Matthew 13, You can just jot these down. It says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys a field. That's where we were at the moment of our salvation. We have this field. We find treasure in it. That treasure is worth everything that we have. We're going to give everything away for it. It's going to radically change the way that we do life. And so we go sell everything. We purchase the field. That's the moment of our salvation. We treasure him in that moment. The danger, though, is in the drift. Hebrews 2.1 says this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The danger is in the drift. We're in a field and we know the treasure's here. We've purchased the field and the the treasure's right here. But ultimately, as human nature goes, we begin to kind of, like we see it, but then we're looking over there. We begin to drift and, and ultimately we drift to a completely different pasture. What's over there? Like we find ourselves drifting. We don't even intentionally do it. I actually like the idea is that if we were in a boat searching for hidden treasure, because that's like adventurous, right? So we're going to look for sunken treasure and then we find that the treasure's right there but we don't actually drop anchor right there. And instead what happens is the wind blows and the waves very subtly and casually move us away and we just drift because we don't stay anchored to the treasure. The danger is in the drift. It happens slowly. It happens very casually. It's a deception of the devil. And all of a sudden, that which was precious to us is now just kind of normal. And because it's normal, it doesn't move us. And so we drift and we forget the treasure's worth. James 1, 14 through 15 tells us why we drift. But each person is tempted when he is lured, lured away and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So this treasure that we found and gave all of it We may find we drift away and we drift because we give in to temptation and we drift and pretty soon we face a sobering reality. We remember the beauty of the treasure that we once beheld, but we're no longer near it because we let ourselves drift. We see the field over there. We see the very spot where the treasure was hidden, and yet we see the distance and we wonder how in the world did I get here? And it's because we drifted because we allowed ourselves to be lured. We allowed ourselves to be tempted away. Oh, the beautiful thing is the prodigal son who saw the distance and he understood the treasure that he had forsaken and he realizes exactly where he is and he begins his trek back home. And whenever he gets to the end of the driveway, by the way, believers, you're never out of the driveway, okay? You're always in his home, you're always in his position. But whenever we see our sin, and we return, and we turn from that sin, then we don't have a God who says, you must come to me. We have the God who throughout all of history has come to his people and to his creation. So You're not so far gone. How do we get from there to there? We cry out to the Father. All right. Conclusion, which is also the solution. This is point number two, if you're keeping notes. The solution. The solution is actually right there in scripture. We just tend to break it up into two separate parts. Go to Matthew chapter six, verses 25 through 34. The problem is misplaced treasure and our misplaced treasure. I really believe is because we lack trust because we lack trust. We begin to treasure these other things that are solutions to it and With all the uncertainty in this life, we're grabbing and we're trying to hold and cling to these things. Those things which are valuable and and get us in our control. The solution to our misplaced treasure and seeking those is simply this. And then we're going to pray. In light of all of that, church. Therefore, I, not I, but Jesus. Therefore, Jesus, I tell you. Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, or what you will put on. Is not life, believer? Look, hear the gentleness of your Savior. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Please hear the incredibly comforting and powerful truth, church. Your God cares for you. He cares for you and he loves you and he will provide. When we don't trust that, when we forget that, then we begin to make things happen on our own. We begin to seek these treasures. So the, the culmination of it all is this. Treasure Christ, trust God, and rest. Your God cares for you. Perhaps the treasuring and the trusting and the resting needs to first begin with confession and repentance. Maybe there are treasures that we have been seeking that are apart from him. But seek confession and repentance to the God who has never left you nor forsaken you because he cares for you and will meet every need. Treasure Christ, trust God and rest. Let's pray. Lord. I pray that you are honored in how we live our lives. But we need strength that comes only from you to wage the battle and the war that happens within us and that happens without us. But Lord, if I have treasure in my heart that is apart from you, Lord, show it to me. Because I want to know my sin. Because my sin is ever before you. But oh God, praise you because you have died for my sin. It's not that this sin needs to be atoned for yet again. It's that I get to come to the greater realization that your your death on the cross was for all my sin, even as you continue to show it for me so that I marvel again yet at your grace. Lord, just renew a right spirit within me. Return to me the joy of my salvation. Bring me back to the pasture of the treasure. Lord, fix my perspective. Whatever it is that you need to do within me and within us, Lord, do it so that you are most glorified in us and we are most satisfied in you and you are the treasure in whom we trust. And I pray so on your son's holy name. Lord, forgive me for any misspoken words or, or any looseness, any selfishly like, um, self-perceived. Lord, let my words pass and your words stand and endure. Amen.